Chapter Eleven, Part Two of Six Women and the Invasion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Six Women and the Invasion by Gabrielle and Marguerite Yerta. Chapter Eleven, Part Two. Most of the emigrants were ill. Eight of them died. We then had occasion to see and admire the way in which the Germans organized the sanitary service for the use of civilians. From the very first day, an empty house had been bedecked with the title of hospital and adorned with the scutcheon of the Red Cross. A large room directly opening into the street was chosen for consultations. Two smaller rooms containing symmetrical heaps of straw served to receive the patients. There was a permanent orderly in the camp and a doctor came daily from Marl. Emigrants, choose what sickness you like. You will be cared for. And quickly influenza, diphtheria, bronchitis, inflammation of the lungs burst upon the emigrants. But we soon discovered that it was not easy to be admitted to the sick ward. I had to call four times on the officer before they vouchsafed to take away an old couple who, despite the Siberian cold, lived alone in a barn with big holes in its roof. The poor woman coughed pitifully, and her old companion could only bring her lukewarm coffee and heap upon her mountains of straw. She died two days after she had been transferred to the hospital. An old woman died, her body was carried away, and quickly another old woman took her place on the very same couch of straw. A dying woman, utterly unconscious, was left a week unattended to. I assure you, the corner she was in was a very sink said the man who took upon himself to clean it when the corpse had been taken away and my wife and children had to live in this infected spot our medical attendant was a young coxcomb fair-haired regular-featured and harsh-looking a glass was fixed in his eye about half-past nine his carriage drawn by a pretty horse pulled up carelessly he threw the reins to his groom he alighted and penetrated his domain his lordship sat down in an easy chair crossed his legs, took a haughty survey of the patients who called upon him, and spoke in a curt and supercilious tone. He was soon held to be a villainous fellow. He is as wicked as the devil, a woman said, with a look of dismay. A great many of them wanted their children to be examined by the doctor. I would rather die in straw than go to him for myself, a mother said. But, my poor little girl, but what was worse, the Prussian doctor did not care a fig for sick children. He had been told that every baby was entitled to a liter of milk, which one of the farmers of the village would deliver to the mother on presentation of a note of hand. But a child above two years was allowed to drink milk only if the doctor deemed it expedient for its health. A woman we knew had a little girl not yet three. Six months before, the whole family had fled in a shower of bullets and grapeshot for nearly a month had lived in the depths of a dark stone quarry with hardly anything to eat since then the child had been as white as wax she had no strength at all and she was always staring straight before her as if she had beheld horrible things as she was penniless the woman was forced to bring her child to this metacaster sir you see my little girl i think milk would do her good he had but to write a note and she would have had it milk i haven't any i have no cows in my house and the doctor burst out laughing thinking himself very witty anyhow the mother said with her teeth ground 
when he stays at home there is a brute beast in his house worse than a cow another beggar woman had twins about two years old one of them ate soup and bread and throve like couch grass the other who ever since the family had left their native hamlet had fed on indigestible things and had nowhere to lay her head had grown pale and sickly she had ceased to run alone took no food and pined away visibly her mother brought her to the doctor that child what should i prescribe her she is ailing on account of her being french french children are all rickety and weakly how am i to help it lay the blame on your race before leaving the little doctor sometimes gave a glance a single one at the rooms of the hospital then stepped into his carriage took up the reins cracked his whip and as harsh-featured as ever put his horse to a gallop however some attention had to be paid to the sick the orderly was there for that purpose he was a big stout man whose eyes seemed starting from their sockets he did not like to be called up in the afternoon he took a nap and still less in the night his remedies the same for every sickness were most economical keep on low diet apply cold compresses yet he understood his business well enough our hostess mademoiselle charvet a wealthy landowner suddenly fell ill of a disquieting hemorrhage no doctor in the village not even in the neighbourhood we ran in haste to fetch goggle eyes oh please please come goggle eyes lost no time in coming showed assiduous attention to the patient punctured her and rode on a bicycle to-morrow in order to fetch medicines a few days after a poor emigrant mother of six small children was attacked by the same disease he was sent for in vain and left her forty-eight hours without help it was indeed a miracle that she did not depart this life this proves clearly that to the mind of a german even though he be a social democrat the skin of a capitalist will ever be superior to the skin of a starveling the physician was not our sole caller a few others came when the straw was still clean and when we received a pound of bread a day a stout commandant and three days after a thin commandant came to visit the camp both the stout and the thin looked extremely well satisfied and seemed to say what splendid organization how perfectly everything is getting on really nobody but germans could settle things like that the thin commandant was escorted by the official interpreter of the camp he never asked a question of the people for many reasons the principal being that he did not know the language of voltaire the very first day he had given a sample of his talents by asking a youth et vous combien années vous avez and the boy stretching his legs and hands stood there gazing gaping at his interlocutor and his whole countenance answered i don't understand german therefore mimicry and loud cries bore a great part in the relations between soldiers and emigrants the stout commandant piqued himself on french in one of the rooms of the farm he asked you are comfortable here aren't you and the women pickled in respect answered all with one voice oh yes sir yes you get good soup don't you oh yes sir yes you get a lot of bread don't you oh yes sir yes when you reach france you will tell the french you have been leniently dealt with won't you oh yes sir yes the stout commandant went away proud of himself and proud of being one of those germans who know how to organize camps for refugees rely on our saying how we have been dealt with bantered the old woman 
the moment the officers large backs were turned another caller was a clergyman who was quite different from the others the reverend herr freiherr was about thirty-five he was tall dark-haired with malicious eyes and a turned-up nose i must say he did his best to comply with our wishes and serve the cause of the emigrants from the very beginning he told us that he was very fond of the french yes but the germans are all fond of the french and that his grandmother was of french descent why then she had married a german well let us go on to something else this man was certainly the cleverest german we had met or rather the only clever one we ever met we were all the more amazed to notice once more the abyss that separates the french from the german mind and utter incomprehension of certain delicacies a lack of sensitiveness is peculiar to them if they had fallen from the very moon our ways of doing and thinking could not be stranger to them and in discussion they are unable to cast out preconceived notions which will ever get the better of reasoning and observation Herr certainly wished to show us kindness and at every turn he told us things which set our teeth on edge yet he wondered to see us stand up for causes which he had looked upon as lost since a long time how i pity france he used to tell us poor degenerate france and he looked quite scared when he saw our anger and heard our vehement protestations he was still convinced victory would be theirs on the other hand he had once declared to us there is a blemish in the character of the germans they are kind-hearted to a fault the german nation is thoroughly kind-hearted owing to the circumstances we dared not say all that we wanted to and were content to hint at belgium oh so many lies have been told you ought not to believe such slanderous accusations as to myself i know that what you are alluding to is false the germans are too kind-hearted to be guilty of the deeds they are charged with such is the enemy's mode of reasoning he denies what they cannot excuse it is very easy in alsace-lorraine we have been to blame in every way said the clergyman to us he is making confession we thought yes we have been too kind-hearted over-indulgent to the people if we had had a firmer hand everything would have got on much better this blasphemer had some merit let us not be too hard on him our leisure was propitious to gossip and we spent many an hour listening to those who had seen the first tragical events of the invasion their simple unvarnished tales were like so many nightmares for instance there were bargemen of bray whose boat had been split in two by a cannon-ball and who had escaped death only by swimming and clinging to floating planks there was the woman of corbenet driven by the prussians from a village near Sossons. with several others she walked to cerny at a stretch with the germans ever at her heels the unhappy wretches had covered forty kilometres in the midst of a battle spent with weariness breathless tumbling down and trudging off again three of them were killed on the way the woman who gave us an account of this carried her baby aged eighteen months throughout this wild race and on the way the poor thing was wounded twice in her mother's arms of cernay were the poor creatures who were shut up in a deep stone quarry and stayed there with scarcely any food for twenty-seven days when they were taken out and brought to Lyon, they were pale hollow-cheeked and covered with vermin they could hardly walk by themselves and their eyes could not look upon the daylight the people wept as they saw us go by the women said 
during the first hours of their sojourn in the stone quarry there had been a tragical incident the fugitives were crouching in the dark when an officer broke in accompanied by soldiers some of you he said have harbored englishmen we discovered an english officer lying in such and such a barn in such a place we have set the building on fire ho oh, said a man my barn ah it was yours you knew an englishman was hidden in it come on the poor man vainly protested against the accusation he was taken away the following day he had not yet returned his wife was greatly disturbed and despite the danger made up her mind to go and try to see him she took some chocolate out of the slender store of the refugees they have thrown him into prison she said and i am sure they will starve him to death the woman went the village was half in ruins and the ruined smoke always deserted she summoned up her courage went straight to her house walked into the yard and close to the dunghill his face fallen in the filth his hands tied behind his back saw the corpse of her husband he had been shot twice in the head and his side was pierced with a large wound the victim's brother and the niece from whom we heard this story were not allowed to attend his burial from the same part were two ladies a mother and her daughter with a newborn baby who were flung out of their house with only a dressing gown and slippers on and driven on without stopping at the bayonet's point till they reached lyon half distracted to cernay also belonged those seven men who had been confined in the marier of Camouille, and who saw an officer come up and yell in a furious tone your dirty french have discovered our presence here one of you must have made signals that's why we're getting a shower of shrapnel the civilians denied the charge and defended themselves to no purpose you shall spend the whole night in front of the house and if you get knocked on the head it will serve you right the men were drawn up in the street and from evening till morning stood there within reach of their guards revolvers as if by miracle the cannonade ceased and during the night not a shot was fired upon the village the next day the prisoners were sent to lyon less tragic but just as remarkable was the story of our companions noro the grandmother so small so weak that we more than once thought her death near at hand and her darlings with their pale faces and their eyes encircled with black major noro owned a large house in Soucy. it pleased the invaders and their omnipotence to take possession of eleven rooms and to establish their offices in them the owners had but the use of a single room reserved for the sick father mademoiselle noro her four children and her mother-in-law slept all the winter in a cold attic some of them slept on straw but the old grandmother had instead of a bed a kneading trough all the furniture had been carried away scattered about the village or over the trenches to crown all the family had suffered hunger almost unceasingly Susi had been still less favored with provisions than morny and only the farmers had managed to lay by some few articles of food one day our old friend told us little mimi picked up from the dunghill a lump of sugar an officer's servant had thrown to the dog she knew her mother had had no food the last two days and brought her this windfall the same little mimi after she had slept on straw for months together forgot for want of practice her normal vocabulary such words for instance as sheep and the first evening she asked antoinette who had adopted her what is the name of those things you know what i mean those white things one stretches upon the beds 
a great many emigrants were thrown out of their villages in september when the germans had been driven back they had been pushed forward like cattle had been penned up in the citadel of lyon and left there for weeks for months sleeping on straw and starving all these unhappy wanderers were stranded at joville they had met again with their old companion hunger they were persecuted by the cold many lay groaning in the icy shelters of the sugar-mill or in the airy attics of the farm and then suddenly came the spring it came in one night a light breath passed over the vale which was soon like a nosegay the meadows grew green the hedges expanded their buds the trees put forth tender leaves the groves were embroidered with periwinkles beneath the thorn bushes came up lords and ladies violets and tufts peeped out along the paths and the meadows were strewn with primroses six small lambs in the keeping of a shepherd girl looked like six white specks on the slope of the green hill the hedges were lively with songs and murmurs the spring wondered much that it did not see the fresh idols it was used to alas love had fled venus alone a lewd and venal venus saw her altars besieged with a host of worshippers but pure chaste love had no faithful followers left yet the spring bestowed with a full hand its gaiety upon all nature i met once with five small emigrants the eldest was about eight years old their clothes were all in rags their feet walked naked on the stones but they had flowers in their arms and their pale faces were bright with the joy of the spring the joy of the spring could we feel glad at it the month of may without france is no longer the month of may this corner of france was no more france since we wore the yoke of strangers in vain we lay basking in the sun with outstretched arms the sun could not as once it did warm and burn us as if to make us die a voluptuous death in vain did we listen to the watchful nightingale whose song overtopped the noise of the water-gate it expressed all the ecstasy and passion of mankind it could no longer make us feel the sweetness of life our hearts were benumbed with grief and had no taste for happiness even the humblest of our companions of our neighbours understood this contrast between the sentiments of us all and the joys which filled nature and we heard poor women say in a mournful tone what misery to think that we must live with the germans in such fine weather we lived with the germans in their train came all the ills captivity sickness hunger we suffered hunger more than ever since the ration of bread had been reduced almost to nothing the women made loud complaints and even talked of mutiny the commandant of the camp was no longer he of the first days replied to my complaints lifting up his arms in a gesture of impotency and indifference they are hungry how am i to help it i have nothing to give them i'd rather see them eat it wouldn't disturb me in the least do you think i should care about it a few women with their children and a cripple ran away thinking they might reach their village they were overtaken some at five others at ten kilometres from joville were thrown into prisons without any further formality and sentenced to wait there for the departure in which every one had ceased to believe two girls did succeed in getting home but were likewise caught and brought back these flights rendered our supervisors stricter than ever we had to answer to numberless roll calls and once when the feldwebel was in a bad temper he called us all a set of pigs our misery was alleviated at last when the american spanish relief commission began its work 
joville had already received some white flour the mayor of the village interposed to obtain the same favor for the emigrants he seceded and the last week of their quarantine the poor people got bread white bread the first day we went to the baker we saw a stirring sight the children gazed in wonder at the golden loaves they squeezed they smelt their portions with joy and without waiting broke off pieces which they ate eagerly i saw women look at their share with staring eyes and say weeping bread real bread this happened the last week of our sojourn in joville indeed the longed-for event was about to take place there were endless reviews and verifications of names and civil conditions the men were examined and re-examined by the doctor for all would not be allowed to leave a card with a number was delivered to every person and we were all ordered to meet in the yard of the sugar mill at eight o'clock in the morning on friday the fourteenth of may different sentiments prevailed a few were overjoyed at the news others show signs of despairing incredulity god knows where they are going to take us now what will become of us you will see they will shut us up in germany but most of them suspended their judgment not daring to hope they anxiously waited upon events a still greater misfortune than we had borne lay in store for us genevieve had caught a severe cold about a month before and the day we heard delivery was near she was in bed shaking with fever she spent a very bad night notwithstanding our care in the morning i ran for the german doctor as there was no other despite the patient's protests no no i will have no germans about me besides there is nothing the matter that will prevent me from going the fair-haired coxcomb gave a listless ear to my words looked at me between his eyelids and asked with his lips why did not this person come round for medical advice i replied this person was in a high fever and could not get up fortunately another doctor had come to help the former to examine the people before they were allowed to depart he was a fat red-faced jovial fellow who showed great haste to oblige me and repeated over and over again as he accompanied me his diagnosis was alarming a double congestion of the lungs he prescribed cold-water compresses and the departure oh it is quite out of the question the lady could not stand the journey it is absolutely impossible then we are not going either that is no business of mine and the doctor withdrew with a shrug of his shoulders mad with despair we went to the commandant of the camp antoinette and i we cannot go our sister is ill we cannot forsake her why you must go you are not ill we did not know what saint to pray to we looked out for help the mayor of joville vainly went to the commandantur of marle to plead our cause all immigrants in good health must go such was the answer genevieve tossed about her bed and protested i want to go i will go i will not run aground as we are reaching the port but the doctor once more consulted repeated emphatically impossible impossible then allow us to stay too impossible impossible at length towards evening the whole camp with the whole village sympathized with us someone told me an officer from marl is at the red cross go and try again we ran to see him i well nigh fell at his feet and besought him he looked somewhat moved well let me see what i can do you are sure the lady is unable to travel 
he asked the doctor absolutely she cannot be moved i cannot be moved either i cried please examine me you will see there is something the matter with my heart and if i am driven to go it will be the death of me well the officer said let us see his eyes gave consent he turned to the doctor you might examine her and see if the journey would not endanger her life the doctor tossed his head and smiled an incredulous smile hum hum it can't be denied there is something wrong with her heart and taking a pen he signed the slip which i so much desired what a relief genevieve would not be left seriously ill among strangers and i what am i to do antoinette moaned ah you must go there was nothing else to do on the way home i tried to encourage her miserable as she was at going away alone the next day i left genevieve burning with fever in mademoiselle charvet's care and went to see the convoy start heartbroken the sun lit up the scene everybody was in a flutter of excitement villagers had been requisitioned with carts and horses to convey the children the infirm and the luggage the crowd set out under the conduct of the soldiers amid calls and shouts many emigrants were crying where are we going to whither shall we be taken several families were severed one from the other for about fifteen men had been thought too strong to leave the invaded territory they might turn soldiers and fight against the germans the charity children delighted at the prospect flocked around me you will come later on won't you madame old mademoiselle noreau and her granddaughters faltered some words of sympathy antoinette strove hard to restrain her tears impero dared not show his joy i went with them as far as the end of the village where two gendarmes were busy counting up the herd i was not allowed to go any farther and i stood there gazing at the trampling crowd and until i saw them disappear at a winding of the road a halting place had been arranged four miles from thence where a train was waiting to convey the emigrants to Hirson. They spent the night in the waiting rooms, lying on the floor, sitting on benches, all squeezed together with fluttering hearts and anxious looks, disturbed by the squalling of the children and the groans of the old people. In the morning the poor wretches were carefully searched and then crowded into the train. Two days after they reached France. With tears and cries of joy they greeted life, at length recovered after so many trials. End of chapter 11, part 2